Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations, where we talk about mental health, adversity, spirituality, and societal issues. I'm your host, Burkan Dandia, and join me in this week's compelling episode where I have a heart-to-heart conversation with resilience advocate and author, Nick Johnson. We go over Nick's personal story of triumph over loneliness and mental health challenges and discover the transformative power of resilience. Nick shares his insights from his book, Executive Loneliness, The Five Pathways to Overcoming Isolation, Stress, Anxiety, and Depression in the Modern Business World. Together, we delve into the nuances of executive loneliness and how it manifests in the high-stakes world of corporate leadership. Throughout the episode, Nick opens up about his own struggles, providing listeners with a raw and authentic look into the challenges he faced from the depths of isolation to finding resilience. Nick's story serves as an inspiration for anyone navigating the often isolating landscape of the business world. As a business leader, author, speaker, podcast host, networking expert, and entrepreneur, Nick's primary mission is to empower individuals towards living a life beyond their wildest dreams through vulnerability and holistic happiness. He is the co-founder and managing director of Executives Global Network in Singapore, Malaysia, and Indonesia, Southeast Asia's largest confidential peer group network providing more than 800 senior executives and business owners a safe haven to share their challenges, receive support, and learn from each other. Nick is deeply passionate about physical health, mental health, and emotional health awareness and believes that well-being is crucial for leaders to perform at their best. Please check out the show notes for all the ways you can get a hold of Nick. And please leave a review or comments in the comment section. I would truly appreciate it. Nick, welcome to the Easy Conversations podcast. Thank you for joining me today and very early for you. So I appreciate you coming on and having this conversation with me. I'm really excited. I know we've been able to talk offline and the topic really resonated with me. So I'm I'm happy to share that with the listeners today. And as we get into the conversation, I do want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to the guests. Uh, let us know a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do and where you're based. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Falcon. I'm really looking forward to our conversation again. I'm uh, based in Southeast Asia, working mainly in Malaysia, Indonesia, and Singapore, and looking forward today to share not only the story or the journey of my life, but all the leaders that I'm working with here in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Yeah. And just to kind of understand that a little bit better, what kind of work are you doing with the leaders? Uh, I know you've shared that with me, and I think it will be very important to shed some light on that as we get into your own personal story. But yeah, what kind of work are you doing with folks you work yeah so what i'm doing here is that we're running confidential peer groups so these are safe spaces for senior executives or entrepreneurs we have groups for the executives and for the entrepreneurs and basically it's a place where they can come in and discuss the work-related challenges that they are faced with and to get some feedback on them so my role is to administrate this so i we train and certified 
facilitators to lead the sessions. And we need the facilitators to do this because the, the human instinct is otherwise to do what I used to do, to isolate, to close, and to not open up about the challenges. We're trying to show perhaps and share the successes we have in life, not the struggle. So that is what we do. So this is really to flip everything upside down. So in the meetings, it's all about discussing the challenges we have, getting support and solve them. So you come in with a meeting, with challenges, you leave with the solutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and one of the things you mentioned there is there's this tendency to isolate. And the reason why this topic resonated for me is, as I shared with you, I've worked in the corporate world and I've seen many leaders, worked with many leaders. And one of the things I personally felt, um, and this could be just my personality, but I often lacked a personal connection with a lot of the senior leaders um, I worked with. And I think the reason why I look back is there was always this kind of perception that they were stoic. Um, there wasn't a lot of emotion often at times and wasn't really any conversation around overcoming challenges. It was always about, okay, we have these goals. We have to achieve these goals. We fall short. There's a story for that, but there was never really anything personal coming from the leaders. Um, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that and understand what do you see when you're trying to get these leaders to open up about challenges? Yeah, I see the same things as you uh, around the world. And, and I call it in my book, I call it the smiling depression also that people are really putting on this smile. It's almost like you're living a double life where it's a facade and you don't really know what's going on behind the scene. I think CEOs, especially, and the higher up you go an organization, the better they are putting on this mic. And it's really hard to figure out what's going on behind. But also, if you look at traditional networking scene, it's almost like speed networking or speed dating. Most of the events are social. You can attend events any big city in the world. You have free drinking events or, uh, or chambers of commerce events happening. You come into a full ballroom. You're expected to walk around with your business card and try to randomly meet people and strike conversations. Well, the conversations are very shallow. It's about what football team you like and perhaps what you do for a living and you define yourself in your workplace. It's very few authentic, deep, meaningful connections that you will make at these events. And that is the difference that I like to have a conversation about. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, when I was doing a lot of networking events, uh, within my industry, very similar, talking about the superficial stuff, sports, cars, and career paths, right? It's like, oh, how did you get to where you are today? And which next job should I be focusing on? And not really getting to understand the individual. And that's something I've really focused on over the last few years. Just part of my journey has been to not asking people what they do for a living is understanding, okay, what are their passions? What are their hobbies? What they, what really gets them out of bed, whether, you know, outside of work, you know, family stuff, just understanding the individual. And the reason why I think this is important because a lot of the work I also try to focus on outside work is men's groups having very intimate or meaningful conversations. And a lot of men struggle with that in general. It's not just CEOs, but a lot of men 
struggle talking about their feelings or putting things on the table and getting outside of those superficial conversations and, and getting into some depths. How are you encouraging the leaders that you work with or the entrepreneurs for that matter to navigate them? Cause that is tough, right? For a lot of people to break that barrier. How are they able to do that? Well, the way I'm doing it is trying to lead by example, because I used to be a closed book myself. I didn't use to share what was going on. And the only way we can do this is by leading by example. So I had to share my story first and, and I did that by publishing, publishing in a book. Uh, my book even includes the moment when I hit my rock bottom. So it has the pages there when I was at the most sick in my life, mentally, physically, and emotionally, it's there. So if people only read a few pages of my book or listen to any of the conversations, including the podcast today, they know that I'm openly sharing my struggle. And if I do this, then when I have conversations with people, they will feel safe to open up to me. And that's the game changer I found. And what I do even now when I have job interviews for my organization, I even send a chapter where I decide, discuss my struggle to candidates before the interview. And I ask them, if you want to know who I am, read this. Most of them are shocked. A few counsel interview and realize this is not the place where I'm comfortable working. But the ones that are going ahead with the interview, you can imagine how open we are. I even had one of the candidates admitting to me during the job interview that he had two suicides attempts. And he even showed me the scars. I hired this guy and you can imagine how strong the bond is with us. If that's where the conversation starts, in, 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 in a job interview, nothing is off the table. When he's feeling really unwell, when he has a personal crisis, he will not tell me, Nick, I have a sore throat today. He will tell me, this is what happened. I need some time off. And that means that he feels so safe working with me. And I'm to take this back to what your question then, if this is the conversations we can have between us in the company, we can also have this in our families and in our communities. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest thing. And I've talked about this previously on this podcast, but what I've learned firsthand through a lot of the men's groups I was a part of or co-facilitating, what I realized was this power of vulnerability. Like it's, it's takes one person, right? As soon as one person is vulnerable, they share something very difficult. It takes the pressure off everyone else. And it, you could hear like everyone just breathe because <laughs> it's such a difficult situation that people create in their minds, right? Oh, I'm going to talk about my feelings. I'm in this room. There's all these other men. I'm going to come across as weak. And then as soon as one person says something vulnerable, it takes the pressure off everyone. And I've noticed that. So I think, you know, I could definitely agree with you that, you know, you just being a role model yourself and leading by example is significant and it does make it easier for a lot of people. But you did touch on your own personal journey. And one of the common themes on this podcast is a lot of people are doing the work they are doing, living out their purpose, because at some point they needed that in their lives. And through often it's through adverse situations. Sometimes it is rock bottom. And unfortunately, that does happen. And when you come out of it, you realize that you can now be a beacon of light for others. And I just want to give you an opportunity perhaps to share your story here and, and tell us a little bit, bit about what was it like for you and 
where did you realize that now, okay, this is my turn to perhaps give back to others? Yeah, so my journey is basically starting from when I was working after high school. I then worked in construction industry, actually, as a construction painter. And I worked in Sweden. And during the summertime, you had a job. But when winter came, normally you would go. And that gave me a lot of insecurities. So every winter, four or five months, I was let go and I didn't have a job. And this repeated itself as a cycle every year. Then I had a motorcycle accident one day and I reschooled myself. And I then started to climb the career ladder. And uh, I was doing well and so on. But then one day I was let go from a job, which I really loved. And that hit me really hard. And that insecurities came back. I managed to find a new job. But then that company went through a merger acquisition and I was again let go. So it, this roller coaster filled me with so much anxiety and it got worse and worse every time I got let go. Then when I was inside a new job, I had to put on this show. I had to be the best. And I was so scared to admit the f f things that I was not comfortable with. And I can remember my delivering really good results in my last senior role, managing hospitals and clinics in Indonesia. But there was some parts of the job, including managing the numbers in Excel and so on, which I was not very comfortable. And instead of asking for help, instead of saying, I'm not comfortable with this, I was trying to cover up for it. And things got worse and worse and worse. And that is just one example of one thing that really filled me with so much anxiety that eventually this actually led me to resign from the job because of insecurities. And with that, I lost myself. I lost my identity and I filled that gap with fast food and alcohol, basically. Hmm. Hmm. And I mean, a few things unpack there, right? The, the one thing that you kind of alluded to in that story was vulnerability. You didn't feel safe being vulnerable to ask for help. Right. And then there was this other aspect, which I've talked about in the past as well is and I don't know if, if it's just, I mean, I find this often it is specific to men, but there is that fear of failure or shame that comes with failure and, and perhaps letting go or being let go from work. There's so much shame that comes with it. What was that like for you? Like just going through those experiences. I know you mentioned there was that anxiety, but how did you navigate those moments of, I don't know if it, you felt that shame, but I'm just curious. Yeah, I felt a lot of shame and every time it was worse and I didn't want to tell anyone how I felt. I didn't want to tell people that I was let go. I was trying even to make it sound like a good story. You know, I kept it secret and silent and only when I had secured another job and I didn't even want to admit that they had let me go. I made it sound like I made a career movement and moving to a bigger role or something. You know, I was thinking very deeply about what story to share. But eventually uh, in the last job, when I felt so insecure that I resigned from it, that time I didn't have anything to share. I didn't know what to say. Instead, I pushed everyone around me away, including my ex-wife and my son, who I even asked to move back to Sweden, where we came from. I stayed in Jakarta, Indonesia by myself, isolating, and I didn't even know what to do next. I didn't have a plan. I was just completely unwell. And that eventually then led me to rock bottom. It was a downward spiral for two, three years when I jumped from job to job. 
and really, really uh, had no, no happiness, no real conversations, just living in that fake smile as I'm talking about. Right. And, and it sounds like you created an environment around you that almost reinforced whatever feelings you had, right? Like this by isolating yourself from even family and, and just putting yourself in that situation. Do you mind perhaps sharing a little bit more about what that rock bottom was like for you and, and why was that the moment where things shifted around, right? Because often things can go pretty far deep down um, the rabbit hole. And, and it sounds like, I mean, you're obviously here and you're driving. So how were you able to bring yourself out of that? Yeah, so it first you know i didn't really realize it but you're putting on some weight slowly slowly you're you're adding on the on the kilos and and then also you have the habit change from good habits to bad habits i used to run you know and run marathons and do triathlons and so on leading up to this and while i used to do longer distances before i just made slower and slower races but still you can easily put photo of a short run and a race on your social media so everything looked normal yeah i was a bit bigger but people were sharing on me saying it looks like you're not taking your training too seriously it's good you're socializing so everyone was thinking everything was fine but then for me to live that double life was really really the painful uh, part there because i isolated myself from the people close to me including my ex-wife then and, and my son and as alcohol became a bigger part of my life and i used alcohol to relax, going to the bar, socializing. And I was really telling myself that I need to get out. I need to socialize. But what I did, I went back to the same bar, talking to the same people every day. And it led me nowhere, but coming extremely unhealthy. And it was in 2018, I wrote, I reached my rock bottom. I, I felt so sick uh, and I needed alcohol to calm my nerves. And it was a big part of my life and time. And I wrote my will, my testament, and I really prepared because I didn't think I could find a way out of this. I was in so much pain, but just at that moment was the game changer. I suddenly couldn't hold the pain anymore. And I just decided to tell one person how I internally, luckily this person listened to me and dragged me to a doctor right away. And that was the, the turning point for me. That was uh, uh, the day I had a V-shaped recovery. And that woman who I told is today my, my wife and uh, it was a lifesaver in that sense. She just listened and took me to the doctor and the, the, the recovery was just around the corner. And I was already within 24 hours, I was feeling much better again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that part of the story where often sometimes you just have that one person who comes in just has this intervention right it's like they're god sent and and in your case it, now this person's your wife which is amazing uh great story and so how did things then shape out from there um and first of all you know i do want to thank you for being vulnerable and i, I know you do this for a living but still but how did things shape out from there and what made you want to get into the work you're doing now yeah, so from there on, it was like a closed circle where I was honest and vulnerable with. So it was with my wife then, and it was with this doctor. And then um, my wife also brought me to a friend who's had some problems before. 
and I shared with her what was going on. And she brought me to one of the 12 step recovery groups. And when I came in, I also felt safe. I also felt that no one judged me. I felt that other people had gone through these kind of episodes before and they now feeling well. And I could see people sitting around the table with one month, three months, one year, five years, the sobriety and so on. So I got inspired. I could see my path ahead. I could feel that I'm in a good space now. And so I kept coming back to working on, on myself, coming back to these meetings. And for about a year, that's all I did. And I lost my the weight. I got back into exercise and, and everything else. But I didn't share externally what was going on. I didn't have to share with friends or so on the full story yet. I kept it within this closed confidential cycle. Then one year later, something happened, something that changed everything forever. A friend of mine died of suicide. And that's the day when I decided to tell the world about my story. And that was another life-changing event for me. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously tough, right? Knowing when someone's close to you. And a lot of the times it's hard to stomach because a lot of people, you know, it's not never happened to me, but I have close friends who, who have lost their friends to suicide. And they've said, and the common story there is a lot of these guys have shared with me that, you know, I wish I would have reached out or I wish I could have done something different to help or perhaps change the outcome. And is that kind of the reason why you felt that by being more vulnerable, that you can also impact other people and prevent, or at least be a support system for someone who's in that mindset or is considering suicide, but they're just looking for to be heard or just knowing that maybe they're not alone and, and someone else's story can often make you feel like, you know, there, there is someone there that can understand and listen to you. I believe that it is probably too late at that stage when someone is isolating those feelings. Uh, unless it's been a proactive approach before, it might be too late because they are so close, just like myself was so close that I had luck that I met someone I opened up to. Uh, but therefore, I'm a big believer of building up these safe spaces, what you're also talking about, men's groups and so on. We do this in a proactive manner. We meet regularly. So if something is on your mind, you will share it and it will be uh, solved before it's compounding and becoming such in, something that is so deep and something so painful. Uh, that is what I believe is a game changer. And that's why I do what I do now, that uh, if something is a, a work-related challenge, we can discuss it and solve it before we go away and isolate with it. So therefore, uh, it doesn't become a mental health problem. Because we recognize that if I'm waking up in the middle of the night because I'm worrying about something at work, I now take a pen and paper, I write this down, I bring it into my next peer group meeting discussion and we discuss this and I have the support. Because let's face it, many executives can feel isolated in their own organization. It might be that they are under huge pressure by the owners, the boss, and they can therefore not discuss this with them. They need to have these safe places outside the workplace. And Again, what you are doing then is fantastic with men's group and so on. That's a place perhaps where you can discuss some relationship challenges, some feelings you have, and you can get some support with them. And that is life-saving, according to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of coming back to the whole notion of working with leaders 
years. I, I wonder, like, are there any are there any points of resistance, or do you or, find like you know, for I, a lot of leaders, they, they have, leaders, there's this perception that you know people are looking up to them, or they're or looking they're, to provide direction. So if they were to be vulnerable or share something difficult or or perhaps even considered weak, right? Quote unquote weak, that they may not be looked upon as a leader or they may lose some sort of trust from the people that report into them. I think that's the traditional mindset that people hide behind that and also make that as an excuse. I think, you know, traditionally leaders have to be seen as strong and, and to give direction, but I think that's an illusion. But it's even reflected still today. If you're going in some other dictionaries and looked up the word vulnerability, it still means, uh, even in Oxford and so on, it means being under attack, being weak. And I'm working hard to try to change this, that vulnerability should be seen as a strength. And then you are human. Then you're bringing your people closer to you. And it's that we are working on this together rather than you standing at the top as like a dictator and giving direction. So I think we, we need to, keep changing this mindset. Yeah. And I think as, as, as leaders, if they're able to be vulnerable to your, what you, we've talked about so far and everything you've shared, they're also creating an environment that's safe for other people to speak up and share. And, and then they're leading by example for, from that perspective. Have you seen any changes in some of these organizations where leaders are adopting more of that? And how is that helping, uh, the employees yes i've seen big changes in the organizations where leaders are opening conversations about this and in fact i can mention about one female leader who I interviewed in my book she at the time was a managing director for one of the big international banks so a woman in a man's world uh, if you looked on the outside it looks like she had everything to go for her you know apartment cars drivers which many of the rich will have in asia international school for the children nannies and all these things all the perks you can imagine so on the outside everything is looking great when i interviewed okay. her, um, about loneliness and isolation she didn't share much the first time um, so i wouldn't think that it would be something to include in the book but a few days later, I received a, a message on my phone from her and she asked, can we meet for a coffee again? And as soon as we sat down, she started to cry and she said, Nick, I rehearsed my own suicide twice. And, you know, she's crying and I, I was just listening, giving her that space. And um, I found out that was the first time she had exposed herself and shared something to anyone. This is an Asian woman, a leader, who, and the... the the Asians normally more close even than the Westerners have mm -hmm. agreed that we could call for help and calling someone who can have a conversation. And this therapist also called a husband and they were able to have a conversations about this. And she later on also had conversations with her teams in the company about this. She even discussed it with her boss. She is now on a sabbatical leave from her company. She has repaired a relationship with her husband and I just spoke with her the other day and she said she never felt better in her life just because that this incident happened and it was a complete game changer for her just like it was in my case, the fact that she managed to expose it and no longer hiding behind this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and why do you think she felt, like obviously she didn't 
give you the impression the first time, but that she felt like she could reach out to you the second time and, and be a bit more honest. What was it that made her want to do that? Do you know? Yes, uh, because when we met the first times, I was opening up, I was being vulnerable with her and I shared about my story and so on. And I did that with all the interviews first again to lead by example to encourage her. It was still too big of a gap for her. She was not ready. She didn't come into that conversation uh, to share what was going on in her life. But as she walked back from there on, uh, and I also shared some of the content that from other interviews that inspired her to then open up later on. And in fact, this was during the pandemic. So many of the companies were in lockdowns and um, she already started to open up uh, in, in one of the open, they had the, like an all hands meeting on a Friday with her team online, where she started to open up and share that uh, some of the feelings and thoughts that she had internally. And uh, it also changed her team. Her team members then started to come to her with her challenges. And when she told her boss what was going on, her boss even also said that he had gone through something similar before. So it's a complete game changer for the culture in, in the company. And it just takes one person to open up like this because we're all humans. We're all going through challenges. The only difference is that some are better than others in covering up for this. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you did t touch on the corporate culture or company culture. And that's so crucial because I personally, at least the places I've worked at, there's no culture like that. And um, I know a lot of my friends, like we've never really talked about a culture existing where they work. And this is like, obviously in Western Canada, I'm referring to specifically, how do you change the culture, right? I know we've talked about it needs to happen at the top, uh, but there's still that fear of, of consequence, even if you're not at the top. I think for a lot of employees, it's like, well, how can they trust me to do my job if they know I'm struggling? And that, to me, there needs to be a shift in the culture where people do feel safe. But how do you do that outside? Obviously, we talked about from a leadership standpoint, but corporate culture is huge. Yeah, it's a, it's a big challenge. And if you are not the leader on top of the organization, and, or if you just started a company, you don't want to go in to your boss and to your HR department and, and start opening up about some deep challenges. Indeed, they might put you in a silo and worry that we cannot give the next promotion to this person. So we have to be very careful and choose wisely where we have this conversation. And, and today we are having this conversation to encourage leaders to create a, a lead by example and chasing the culture for their company so their teams feel more inclined to open up. So I think that's where the conversation needs to be. Otherwise, you need to find your safe spaces outside your work. So if you are not a top leader, but you're in middle management, for example, then join a, a woman's group or a men's group or join any of these outside your work where you can have vulnerable and honest conversations. If you don't find that safe space inside your work, then find it elsewhere. Would mm -hmm. be my... Yeah, I agree. And and I think we touched on men's groups. Those are those are very important. If you don't have that within your workplace, you can seek it out externally. Um and and not only men's groups, but I'm sure women can have similar groups. Uh, I know a few friends who've wanted to get stuff together for, for women when they hear about the groups that I'm part of. So there are tons of opportunities. Um, and if you can't find one, I always tell people to start your own. There's nothing stopping you from starting your own. 
getting just a few people that you know together can have profound impact and and then through word of mouth you can grow organically so i will put that out there um nick is there anything else you feel that would be relevant for the listeners that we haven't touched on from this aspect and you think is is crucial um for people to know i think uh... Yes, I think we, we we can also discuss the importance of asking for help. I think mm-hmm. we all need to be proactive also in building up uh, our networks and platforms and having ways to ask for help. And this can be everything from, and for us men, it can be hard even to ask for directions on the road. Well, good news, we have Google Maps now, right? <laughs> But what I'm talking about is having this habit of constantly having post-it notes around you and or your mobile phone, writing down when there's things you don't know and then immediately think, who can I ask for this? Who can I ask for this? And get support. And in my company now with EGN, the company I'm running, we have a mobile app and we even created a function called Ask the Network. Where, and then that is filtered by our office to the relevant people. So you can in real time ask for help and it's just by creating that culture and having that mindset that actually asking for help and having a network is your greatest strength rather than trying to go in your own head and finding solutions, just constantly ask for help, help others. And that I think is something that is so important. Yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent. That's still something I struggle with myself, but I appreciate you adding that. Um, I, yeah, sometimes I'll even, I won't even use Google maps just because I like <laughs> feel like I could figure it out myself on the road, but uh, it doesn't always work out. So yes, I agree with you. Uh, asking for help is is so important. And again, I think even similar to what we talked about with vulnerability, if we can build a culture of asking for help, then others can also learn and feel safe to do it if uh, people around them are doing it. So I, I appreciate that. And I know Nick, um, I, I do want to, again, thank you for coming on here, having this conversation with me, being vulnerable. And I know you touched on your book uh, a few times. How can people find you, whether it's online, social media, or get a hold of your book? What are some ways they can do that? I'm quite active on LinkedIn, and they can look up Nick Johnson, N-I-C-K-J-O-N. S-S-O-N, or I have a website, nickjohnson.com as well. Uh, the book is called Executive Loneliness, uh, and they can find it uh, through my website or Amazon. It's also as an audio book on Audible, if someone want to listen to it uh, during the morning walk or exercise. And uh, thank you also so much for covering this conversation. It's been great having an honest and open conversation with you. here. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for checking out this episode with Nick. As always, please leave a five-star review or a comments in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. That's the easiest and best way to support this podcast. Thank you again, and until next week.